This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. In order to support this show and keep providing you tons of free content week after week, we need the help of some great advertisers. And we want to make sure those advertisers are ones that you actually want to hear about. But we need to learn a little bit more about you to make that possible. So go to podsurvey.com slash she and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better so that we can bring on advertisers that you won't want to skip through. Once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. But again, that's P-O-D com slash she. Thanks for your help. All right, let's talk about it. It's something that I think we need to talk about. We've probably needed to talk about this for a long time. So we're just going to do that. We are going to talk about some disciplines of a financially wise or financially savvy woman. I hope that these disciplines that I'm going to share with you in this episode are some that maybe you're already doing and others that you are open to doing or improving, as well as First, before we even get into the disciplines, I'm going to cover some lies that I think we believe, especially if you come from a church background or are a believer yourself. I think this can be especially prevalent, but I think this is just common for women, some of the lies that I'm going to share. So we're going to tackle those first, and then we're going to dig into a handful of disciplines to basically audit your life by. Look at your financial life and your lifestyle in general as we go through these and see which ones you already are doing and which ones maybe you could improve on or haven't thought to do. And it's not meant to be something that says, you know, this is not a you're wrong or you're doing something wrong if you are not doing all of these. It's more of a guideline. It's something to aspire toward. It's rooted in discipline. It's rooted in intentionality. And the reality is none of us are disciplined perfectly 24-7, right? all the time. That's just that's just not how life is. We're human. So let's start with a grace-based mindset. Let's start with a healthy approach to, I'm not going to be perfect at these things. I may not even be doing all of these things, but I want to be aware of them. I want to be empowered with helpful information. I want to know how I can grow. And I'm going to take small steps forward. I always say incremental, implementable, imperfect action. The goal being we can take small, incremental, implementable, aka steps that are small, that can be implemented right now where we are with what we have, imperfect action, right? So we can do it imperfectly. It doesn't mean it has to be perfect 24-7, you know, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's about being as consistent as possible and keeping a grace-based mindset in the process. All right. So we're going to dig into that. We're going to talk about money, honey today. Okay. I don't even know if that made sense. Money, honey, money, honey, honey. Okay. Let's, let's stop. Jay, let's just dig into this one. You're listening to She with Jordan Lee Dooley, a personal development podcast for the everyday woman. Come invited, leave ignited. Here's your host, Jordan Lee Dooley. All right. So first let's dig into just let's let's set a foundation here, okay? Cuz really where I want to tackle some of those lies I was mentioning, it really begins with 
our beliefs, right? Our beliefs surrounding money, what beliefs we carry into how we manage money, how we steward money, how we use money, how we give money, all of the things. So what's important to understand is that really our beliefs about money were solidified in childhood, pretty early along in childhood. And so I want you to consider how you grew up. And I don't necessarily mean how much money your family did or did not have, but more so what was the general feeling and emotion and approach when it came to talking about money, when it came to using money? What was the mindset around it? Was it an abundance mindset or was it a scarcity mindset? Did you feel like money was bad to talk about or you know, the root of evil or whatever else? Or did you feel like it was good and the thing that you should, you know, almost like a measure of your worth and the main thing you should aspire toward in life? Or was it even kind of maybe even considered a God in your family? Maybe you had a parent or a sibling or someone that you looked up to in your life who really made money so much of a good thing that it became a God thing and it became an idol in your in your life or or that was the example that was set for you. Did you grow up in a house in a household or a family where talking about money was taboo? You just don't talk about money. Or did you talk about money openly and did you feel like you were well uh, equipped and taught about what investing looks like and how to use money and what the value of a dollar and things like that? Like what was your money life like when you were growing up? Did you get an allowance? Were you paid to do chores? Like, What did that look like for you? I want you to really consider that because that's really the foundation of where a lot of beliefs that you may or may not have come from and stem from. Okay. So that's just really kind of the foundation here. And then I want to address a handful of lies before we dig into the disciplines so that we can go into the disciplines with the right mindset and truths as our foundation. Okay. So first lie that I think so many Uh, often believe is that money is the root of all evil or money is evil. Okay. Here's what I want to clarify. Money at the end of the day is nothing more than an inanimate object. It is a neutral tool that can be used for good or for bad. Same is true with a car. Uh, A car could be used to get you from point A to point B, to take you to a doctor's office, uh, to take you to school. It could also be used to hurt someone, right? A knife. A knife could be used to cut your steak or it could be used to hurt someone. The same thing can be true with money. It can be used to achieve a means. It can be used you know, as a vehicle for, for a means to an end, right? It is a vehicle to get you from point A to point B to fund X, Y, or Z, but it can also be used in harmful ways. It can also be abused. It can be something that you become obsessive about. It can be something that really shackles you that really is harmful either to you or others because the the drive and the greed that can surround money, but money itself is not necessarily outrightly the root of evil. What's the root of evil is the love of money. And I don't mean the appreciation of money. I don't mean the drive toward earning a decent living. I mean the love of money where money becomes a God thing. It's no longer just seen as a good thing or a helpful resource. It becomes a God or an idol in your life. It is the thing that you will sacrifice everything else at the altar of, including your family, including your health to get more of, right? So the love of money, even your integrity, you may sacrifice if if money becomes something that you worship, if it becomes something that you idolize. So the clarification here is that money in and of itself is not the root of all evil. The love of money, though, can be the root of evil. It can be at the root of evil choices, of harmful decisions, etc. But the earning, spending, saving, investing, and ultimately wise handling or management of money is necessary to fulfill the call in our life because, as I said before, money is nothing more than a vehicle. 
and it is neutral on its own. It's the heart posture behind it that can turn it good or bad. Okay. Now the next lie I think that we often believe or the mindset that can really trip us up is this making too much money is greedy. And I put too much in air quotes because I think the next question to that would be, okay, define too much. The reality here is that that is somewhat of an arbitrary number because it has so much to do with circumstance, individual experience, needs, how you're using it to fund meaningful causes or help other people or you know send children to college. And so what a 45-year-old woman with two college-age students may need to make or a 45-year-old couple versus what a 21-year-old single bachelor may need to make are completely different things. And so I think a lot of times we toss around these words of making too much and it's like, well, according to who? And what does that mean? All of our standards of what too much or too little is, is different. Now, again, obviously you could make the argument that too little would be, you know, not being able to have a living wage, et cetera, et cetera. And too much may be, okay, well, extravagant lifestyle. You could argue that. But at the end of the day, again, it's still an arbit, it's it's very opinion based, right? And so that's why I say like, it's important to define too much and understand that's kind of an arbitrary argument because what's too much to you may not be too much to the person that you're judging or that you're you know passing that on because you have no idea what they're doing. In fact, I was actually talking with a friend about this. We went on a hike a few weeks ago and she shared about a business leader that she has always really, really admired. And she heard him or um, I think it was a TV interview or a podcast interview. Anyways, she heard about this, this business leader um, sharing about his home. And something along the lines of, I'm, I'm not telling this story perfectly because she obviously had the firsthand experience. I'm second, telling the secondhand story. But from what I understand from her experience was that she was listening to this business leader share about their home. And at first she said, you know, at first it would seem like, geez, that's quite the extravagant home. Like, why do you need that whole extra wing? Right. And that might be something you'd be tempted to judge. But then it, as the interview went on and as the conversation went on, come to find out that extra wing that they added that the outsider looking in may say, oh, that's just too much, right? That's actually used to help struggling small businesses and struggling families who need help and guidance and a place to come to kind of reset. And so it's actually being used for something beyond just, oh, we want a fancy extra wing in our house, right? So again, you don't always know the circumstances behind the dollar, behind the, you know, what appears on the surface level to be extra. So just something to keep in mind if you begin feeling like, oh, wait, if I if I get a pay raise or if I have a very successful launch and, and make more than I'm used to making, is that greedy? Well, it all depends on how you use it. It all depends on why you're choosing to do that. It all depends on, you know, are you creating jobs for other people? Are you creating a lifestyle where you can be home with your family and help raise your, like, again, at the end of the day, it's, is, is it, what is the heart posture behind it? Okay. Um, another lie that I think we often believe is, I feel weird marketing myself or charging much for my skills, talent, or expertise because I want to be generous. I should not worry about profit. Profit seems greedy, right? Like that seems like it could very quickly be a slippery slope, which of course it can. But here's what I want to uh, kind of adjust that thinking with. Here's the deal. Proverbs 31, 18, which is straight out of the Bible, whether or not you believe the Bible or not. I just said that very weird. Whether or not you believe the Bible or not. Okay. Redundancy check. But whether or not you believe the Bible personally, here's the deal. Proverbs is full of wisdom. I believe it is. I believe the Bible's ultimate truth. I will never apologize for that. But even if you're in a place where you're like, I'm just not sure about that. Here's what's so interesting. This gives us such a strong example of a financially or fiscally wise woman. 
Listen to this. Proverbs 31, 18 says that she sold her merchandise in the marketplace and saw that it was profitable. Here's what why that matters. If it's not profitable, you wouldn't really be a wise steward to move forward and, and invest all of your time and your talent and your energy and your resources into making this thing, right? That's like, well, if there's no way to take any type of, like to basically be even paid for your time, like that, that's not wise. And then it goes on a couple of verses later, Proverbs 31, 20, this is talking about a virtuous woman, okay, for context. So a woman that's worthy of praise, a woman that kind of emulates what would be considered wise and godly and praiseworthy. Proverbs 31, 20 says that she extended her hand to the needy. So why is this, this why does this matter? Why do I point this out intentionally as two separate thoughts? Because they are two separate thoughts. She made a profit, point one, and she was generous, two different things. She was not generous by foregoing her profit. Do you understand? It's not a either or, it's a and. She was profitable and she was generous. She was not generous by foregoing her profit altogether. She actually made a profit. She generated wealth. The, this woman owned a vineyard. Like she had a winery. I bet she made heck of money. Okay. So she made a profit and out of the wealth that she created and the money she earned, earned is a key word, not received on a silver platter, asked for or dodged because she felt funny asking for it, but money that she earned fairly and out of that gave generously. Like she gave generously and she earned a profit, two separate things. I think a lot of times, especially if we have a, a giving heart and we have a heart for the needy and we have a heart to serve, which we should, right? That's that's what we all should aspire to do. I think sometimes we mistake it being it, it's either if you're profitable, therefore you're not generous, or if you're going to be generous, you should give it, it, you shouldn't be profitable. Like when in reality, I think it's really instead of a an either or situation, it's more of a both and. It's a you can be profitable and you can be generous because this verse and this passage like lays that out so well. And the Bible is so powerful in giving this example that I was like, I can't not use that as the foundation because it truly does give us a picture, a timeless principle of this woman created wealth. She owned land. She owned a vineyard that gave back to her that bore fruit that she could then turn into wine and goods that she could sell. And on top of having the asset of land and a vineyard of, uh, you know, not only just land that does nothing, but land that actually yields a harvest and makes a profit. She also sold her merchandise in the marketplace, made a profit, but she also gave generously. She extended her hand to the needy. And we can really use that as an example and a guideline in our own life and in our money life. Okay. One more um, lie that I think is, or even just mindset that I think can get kind of tricky and that I want to kind of debunk in, in this myth is that building wealth or caring about your net worth at all is wrong or it is straight up, especially if you come from the church, it is often thought of uh, as the prosperity gospel. Okay. So let me debunk that by actually defining what the prosperity gospel is so that this is something we can approach wisely. So prosperity gospel is essentially the belief that God will bless us financially or with good health if our faith is strong enough and we do good things. Okay. So this is where it gets confusing because it's like, yeah, if you're building wealth, like that's prosperity gospel because it has to do with money. Okay, let me read that again. Prosperity gospel is the belief that God will bless us financially or with good health if our faith is strong or we do good things. So another way to think about this is it's basically a theology that teaches that God rewards faith and hefty tithing or good deeds 
with financial blessings. But the reality is there's no biblical backing for it. And just looking through a common sense lens, that doesn't really even add up. So the big difference between these two beliefs of wise wealth building versus prosperity gospel is this. Wise wealth building basically has, if you're if you're looking at it through the right lens and with a healthy mindset, and you're approaching it with a healthy mindset, it it's the belief that work earns money and investing builds money. So while I believe that God ultimately provides the money available to me, the resources in my life, I believe that my time and work have value and it is appropriate to be fairly compensated for it. Instead of burying that money and scurrying it away or hiding it away because I'm scared, I believe that reinvesting it to yield a return on that investment is the best way to be a good steward or a good manager of the income my work creates, whether that's investing it into my household, investing it in the, you know, in the marketplace, but being intentional about making sure how far that dollar is going, whether it's you know reinvesting it into a product that you're making in a business, investing it into paying off your home, like those types of things. If it's being a good manager, that is wise wealth building. Now on the flip side, the prosperity gospel says, God will bless me financially on the condition that I have a strong faith and do good things. You see the difference? So one says, I will work and earn money. The other says, God will rain down money, basically, or he will bless me with great with a great job opportunity if only I declare it and have a strong faith that it'll happen if I do good things. It's all dependent on what? It's not dependent on our work. It's not dependent on how well we show up or our expertise. It's dependent on our faith. It's dependent on the good things we do. Um, and that's where it gets really tricky. So our faith becomes the vehicle for money rather than our work, our time, and our expertise. Does that make sense? So that's not to say we can't have faith that God will provide, but it's the vehicle by which we see the money coming to us and the approach that we take. So the the first mindset or the first approach of wise wealth building acknowledges that work is a vehicle and the worker sees himself or herself as a steward and understands that money is a tool to bless her family, to bless her community, and more, okay? Now, the second mindset, the prosperity gospel, makes faith the vehicle to financial health and see his or herself as the primary beneficiary of that financial health, if only their faith is strong enough. See the difference? So in Proverbs 31, 16, it says that this virtuous woman, I mentioned this before, she invested in a vineyard. So real estate or land itself is one of the best investments you can make. And actually they say one of the greatest hedges against inflation, land that gives back to you and allows you to produce a product like wine to sell and have a business is only that much more profitable. So an honorable woman didn't need to gloat or show off, but she also didn't need to play small. And that doesn't mean that she was buying into the prosperity gospel. Okay. She was resourceful and entrepreneurial in her investing and reinvesting. And that's a good thing. And what she produced and provided for her family in clothing, food, and wealth was considered good and profitable. Her activities really resulted in fruitfulness for not only herself, but the poor, her household, her husband, and the marketplace. Okay, so the point here and why this matters is not only the differentiation in that that lie, but also because why it matters that we be wise stewards of our resources, that we be good managers, and that we have strong disciplines in place when it comes to finances is that women really have a powerful economic contribution to make in our homes, in our communities, and in the marketplace. So wise wealth building, resourcefulness, financial literacy, and healthy habits surrounding those things to really enable those things can bring fruit and equip us to bless not only our families, but also so many more people. So I want to dig into a few habits that resourceful, financially literate, and wise women can do to use money as a vehicle to build wealth in our life and in the lives of others. Cool? All right. So let's dig into these. 
So habit number one is they know the value of their work and expertise and they ask for it. Notice I didn't say they know their worth. Honestly, it's impossible to assign a monetary value to one's worth. And I think saying know your worth is kind of a flawed statement. That said, financially savvy women don't downplay their achievements, expertise, or the value they can bring to the table. They know that if they're doing a good job, their pay should reflect that. Don't let anyone take advantage of you just because you have a heart to help, right? We talked about that just a minute ago about being generous and profit are two separate things, being paid appropriately and being generous. Don't cancel each other out, okay? So again, it's not about knowing your worth. Your worth is priceless. Your worth is beyond a paycheck, okay? So don't equate your worth to what you're paid, but you can know the value of what you bring to the table in terms of your work and your expertise and the worth of your work that's different than the worth of you um, and ask for it, all right? Number two, they're not afraid to negotiate and talk about money openly, okay? So here's what I mean by that. Financially savvy women will go the extra mile to get a fair price and the best value. I'm going to give you an example of a verse that talks about that coming from the same passage, Proverbs 31. Um, Let me pull it up really quick. 14, I just had to look it up. It says, she is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. Okay. So, and even the verse before that, verse 13 says, she seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. So what does that mean? Like, why am I bringing that up? It shows her resourcefulness. It shows, hey, she is willing to go the extra mile to get the right deal, to get what she needs, okay? So I think that can be applied in this conversation as well. Again, I'm not teaching the theology of this. It's more of, this is a great example of going the extra mile to provide for her household, herself, her family, okay? So what I mean by that ultimately is that financially savvy women will go the extra mile to get a fair price and the best value. They're not afraid to talk about money you know, ask for what they need or negotiate when necessary. For most of us, though, I don't think this comes very naturally, whether that's because we don't want to come across as greedy or because we were taught, you know, when we were young that requesting a pay raise or openly discussing financial strategy or goals or bargaining is somehow manly or bossy or greedy or unladylike. And it seems like a lot of women feel a little bit gun shy around these conversations. And so, What I want to highlight, though, is that I'm not saying that you should brag about how much you make or share the details of your financial life with anyone, right? Like talking about money and not treating as a taboo subject does not mean bragging or humble bragging about money. That's there's that quote that says insecurity is loud when you have to like promote how much money you're making and tell everybody like that's a sign of insecurity, right? It's not about needing to broadcast that everywhere. There's there's absolutely a time and place to, to have open conversations about money to you know, negotiate when necessary, et cetera. But the problem is that when the time and place presents itself and we're not prepared with the right mindset to approach it, we may not actually show up to that time and place ready to ask the questions we need to ask or negotiate the way we need to negotiate. So this means that it's important to educate yourself, to practice, and to shift your mindset before presenting your case for something if you ever were to find yourself in a, in, a, in a place of negotiation. You need to walk into that conversation, whether it's negotiating something that you're wanting to purchase, asking for a pay raise or whatever, and, and having some preparation and educating yourself a little bit, thinking, okay, what do I bring to the company? What is the you know average rate for jobs in my sector? And am I being paid that accordingly? It, it, let me look at the time that I'm putting in. Am I going above and beyond? Am I putting in more than 40 hours a week? Should that be accounted for? Is is now the right time to ask for a raise? Is my company in a place to be able to do that? Or is my supervisor going through a life tragedy and probably not in a time in a place to talk about this? Like all of that preparation before negotiating something 
negotiating the best value, negotiating, you know, a pay raise or anything else is really, really important so that you can show up as prepared and confident as possible. So allow yourself to get comfortable talking about money, asking hard questions as it pertains to money and negotiating in small ways so that it no longer feels taboo when a bigger opportunity presents itself. And I want to make sure you know this. You can do this with kindness, with class and with confidence without coming across like a spoiled, entitled heiress or jerk. Okay. Just important to know. With two little kids, I do most of my shopping online now, but it can be so hard to shop for things like clothes online because I never know if I'm getting good quality until it arrives. The game changer, upgrading to high quality, affordable pieces from Quince. Now I have luxury essentials that transition from one occasion to the next, and I stayed on budget. Quince has so many options to choose from, like 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters for $50, organic cotton sweaters, washable silk tops, and timeless 14 karat gold jewelry. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. One of my favorite items from Quince is the silk pajamas I got. They are so high quality, luxury pajamas, but not at a luxury price tag. And I just feel like they don't even compare to some of the other pajamas that I have bought online or that I've bought um, just at various different stores. And like, these are incredible. Indulge in affordable luxury by going to quince.com slash she for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash she to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash she. This episode is brought to you by AARP. 10 years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs and the small dogs who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. Thrive Market is a go-to for all your grocery and household essentials, and the convenience of getting everything online then quickly shipped to your doorstep is a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories, and you can use their on-site filters to suit your lifestyle needs. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks, low-sugar alternatives, or gluten-free pantry essentials, you can curate your own shopping experience with just a few clicks. And when you shop Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one for one membership matching program. You join and they give. I use Thrive Market every single month. I get our dish detergent, dish soap, and various other just basic household essentials that are low-tox and non-tox ingredients. And it is the easiest way to get all of my favorite clean items sent right to my door at an affordable price, I should add. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash she for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash she. Thrivemarket.com slash she. Discipline number three is that they budget and have a plan for their money. What this means is that financially wise women create a plan for their money and they stick to it. So they understand and they know their numbers. I think that's really key. You really can't make a plan for your numbers or for your money until you know your numbers, right? So understanding these things, like how much money is currently in my account, checking that relatively regularly. You don't want to do that to the point where it's stressing you out and you become obsessive about it, but 
Can you check it once a week or twice a week consistently enough to where you have a pretty good pulse on where things are at? Um, Do you know how much you're saving and investing? Are you saving and investing? How much money do you have coming in each week or each month? And how are you going to save that? What's your plan for saving it? Do you have any specific goals for your money? Like these are important questions to be asking. You really can't manage and make a plan for your finances if you don't know where your finances currently are, right? Knowing your numbers, knowledge is power. And so once you know those things, once you're clear on these questions, then you can create a spending plan or a budget to help you see where your money is going to go. Okay, so you're first focusing on the present. Where is it at now? Then you can consider where it's going to go. And then once you know, you know, once you know that a spending plan can help you see where your money's going to go, know how much money you have coming in and out every month and where you can cut back on spending or how much you can increase your saving each month to really get closer to your goals. Okay. And make sure that your goals are specific. Make sure they're measurable and realistic. And that there's a time bound. There's an acronym called SMART goals, S-M-A-R-T. And that stands for specific, measurable, actionable, realistic, and time bound. So when it comes to creating an, a plan for your finances, a plan to reach a goal that you may have, whether that's paying off debt or buying a house or uh, you know, buying a car or going on vacation or whatever it is, having a SMART goal, a specific, measurable, actionable, realistic, and time-bound goal will help you not only set those goals in a way that's clear, especially if you're communicating those to a partner or anyone else in your family, but also in a way that's doable, okay? So think about both your short-term and your long-term financial needs and try to set some financial goals for yourself consistently. And I think what's important to think about when you do this and to picture is remember that money is a vehicle. So money itself isn't the goal. So instead of setting a goal of, I need to save $3,000, that makes money the goal. Instead, you might say, what is the, why do I need to save $3,000? Dig beneath that amount. Well, I need to pay off credit card debt so that I can increase my net worth. Okay, great. So then instead of saying my goal is to make 3,000 or save $3,000, your goal, your goal should actually become I want to pay off credit card debt or I, you know, my goal is that in six months I will pay off credit card debt so I can increase my net worth for my family or for my future, whatever. Great. So then the vehicle is, okay, now how much am I going to need to do that? I'm going to need $3,000. So that will give you a specific goal of, okay, then I need to save $3,000 or a specific, you know, it basically says there's a deeper goal beyond, I just want to save $3,000. Make sure you're clear on what that goal is or the why behind the goal and actually make that the primary goal. I am working toward paying off credit card debt. Then you can say, and how much do I need to do that? So that what you're doing, if you almost picture it, here's what I mean by this. Picture yourself on a circle, okay, at point A. And point B is you have is going to be you in the future when you have zero credit card debt. You have all $3,000 of your credit card paid off. Okay, fantastic. So there's this line, but picture there being like a road or a line or a bridge connecting point A and point B, maybe a bridge, okay? So as you save $500, you get a little bit front, you get a little further from point A and a little closer to point B. You basically have stepped out of being $3,000 in credit card debt and $500 onto the bridge. Does that make sense? You're starting to move down that bridge. So that $3,000 runway or that $3,000 need is basically the bridge that is, or the gap between point A and point B. So you need $3,000 to cross the bridge to get to the point where you have no credit card debt. Does that make sense? So thinking of it that way helps you picture money as a vehicle rather than the goal in total. 
because money is nothing more than a vehicle to help you reach your goals. Okay. So reframe your, your thinking to think of it that way and to have that visual so that you can make not only intentional decisions, but also be more likely to stick to them. Okay. So next discipline, they prioritize savings. Financially wise women don't save after they pay for their expenses, but they save or pay themselves before they pay for, pay for expenses before they spend money. So once you've drawn up a, bu- a budget or a spending plan for your money, start working out how much you can afford to save each month and automatically put it away as soon as you get that money into your bank account, whether it's through your business or you get paid you know, from an employer. And it can be really helpful to set up an automatic transfer. This is something Matt did a couple of years ago for us now. And I don't even have to think about savings. I just know that the second money hits our account, there's an automatic transfer that's going to take a, a, a certain percentage of it and put it away into savings. That is super helpful because otherwise, if you forget one week or you know you get busy or there's an expense that hits your card like right after you get paid because you need to go get groceries, if that hasn't been taken out, you might forget to do it and then it won't be consistent. So try to just set up an automatic transfer to keep it going. And this really is one of the simplest ways to save money and to build you know, your net worth or what you owe, what you own effortlessly. So start small with this. The most important thing is to start and to be consistent with it. So once you start building momentum, once you start doing it, it does get easier. Like you don't even miss that money. You forget that it's ever been there because you're used to it just coming in and going out, right? It's like, it's almost as if it was never there, which can actually be the best way to go about it. All right. Number five, this is really key. So discipline number five is that financially wise women don't try to keep up with others or live outside their means. Okay, so what I mean by that is there's a big difference between looking rich or looking wealthy and acting wealthy, okay? So trying to keep up with someone's lifestyle is only gonna get you into financial trouble and it's gonna kill your ability to build the wealth or the net worth that you wanna build for your family, for your household, and really to help your community. And so, you know, I think this is particularly a problem with social media. I've I've been victim of this. I've fallen into this trap at times where, buying something we don't need just because you see it in someone else's living room and it looks lovely and you're like, I need that $2,000 coffee table today, right? And it's like, actually, the coffee table I have right now is working just fine. It's just not ultimately ideal and what I ultimately want. That's okay, right? So living within your means and focusing on your own goals instead is gonna get you a lot further. Comparing yourself to other people, especially those who have more right now, is gonna not only make you feel insecure, but it's gonna get you into this cycle of overspending and then into debt and then paying off debt and feeling like you're just never really getting ahead with money. So that's really key to remember. And it's like kind of obvious, but it's always a good reminder and kick in the pants for me because I think sometimes we can subconsciously try to keep up with others. Like we may not think of it as keeping up with the Joneses, right? You might not look at your neighbor and be like, oh, they went on vacation, so I had to go on vacation. Maybe you will, but what's most likely happening is that you're seeing you know, maybe a fashion blogger online share about all the new clothes they got for the summer. Now, half those clothes were probably free to begin with, but you might see that and go, oh, I need four new swimsuits for the summer too. And I don't like how my dresses from last year fit. And next thing you know, you drop 12, 1200 bucks on new clothes, right? Like it, it can happen very quickly and you don't even really see it as keeping up with the Joneses. You're not trying to be like them. You were just influenced or inspired by like, oh, I need to get all these things. So again, it's not that you shouldn't ever get new clothes. It's not that you shouldn't shop for summer, but ask yourself, like, is this within my means? Is this something I should be doing right now? Because here's the deal. Financially wise women know that it's not wise and try not to be dependent on credit because they know that consumer credit is incredibly costly to the mission that they're on, to the wealth they're trying to build for their family and for their home and for their community and themselves. And so it really can have a negative impact on your financial health and your ability to build real wealth. So obviously some debt like a mortgage is a lot of times unavoidable. 
And some will even argue that it can be leveraged strategically. I'm not somebody who says like, you can have zero debt ever. Like we have a mortgage. I'm okay with that. You know, and and there's actually benefits to that to a degree. I'm very hesitant to say if there's benefits to debt, because that can be very much misconstrued. But my point is there's some debt that is either mostly unavoidable. And that is like, for example, if you run a small business, your home office can be written off as a part of your expenses for your business. Like there's aspects of it that have benefits but that doesn't mean you should take on a bunch of extra debt. Consumer debt specifically is a bad idea because if you don't have the money for things like, I don't know, a new outfit or a vacation or whatever, either save up for it and get that delayed gratification or just accept that you can't afford it in the season and move on. Like close the app, shut it down, go be with your family and move on, right? Financially wise women pay off their credit balance each month. If you have any consumer credit, and don't buy anything with credit cards that they can't afford to pay off at the end of each month. So what that means is it's not that it's bad to have a credit card and you're not financially wise if you have one, but if you're spending on your credit card more than what you know your income is going to be for that month or what you will have within two to four weeks to pay it off with, probably not a good idea. So small expenses or emergency expenses are one thing, but if you're going to drop, I don't know, eight grand on a credit card and you on something you don't absolutely need that's not an emergency, like a broken down car or something else, and you know for sure that you're not going to have the money to pay that off at the end of the month and the interest is going to accru- accumulate, probably better to pass. Okay. So focus on your financial picture, build your net worth at a healthy pace and practice the art of patience. I promise it's going to pay off. Okay. Number six, they don't make emotional decisions financially savvy women don't make emotional money decisions. They don't waste money on things they don't need as we just talked about. And they also try to look at their financial decisions and purchases through an objective lens, meaning weighing the pros and cons of every big financial decision, making a plan before making a big purchase, discussing, okay, how are we going to go about this? What's the most strategic way to, you know, if we need a new car, what's the most strategic way to go about that? Um, how can we do it most effectively financially? What other big financial financial purchases do we have happening? How can we approach this in the best way possible? Okay. In addition to that, financially wise women figure out what is a priority for them and spend on those things while cutting out the rest that are truly just distractions and unnecessary. Okay. Being able to control your emotions around your financial life and your purchases is really key to success. So really try to keep your emotions out of your financial decisions as much as possible, which can be hard because a lot of times we buy with our heart over our head. And that's not to say you can't feel like you want to care about the things that you're purchasing. It's not to say that your emotions can't be involved at all, but try to also look at your pers- or your your purchasing decisions objectively as well. Learn to keep emotions out of your financial decisions as much as possible so that it doesn't cause you to make poor or costly decisions, okay? To make smart decisions, do your research, even consider hiring a good financial advisor or a coach if you need a little help, a little extra help and really take control of the decisions that you're making. If you are listening and you're like, okay, how do I find a good financial advisor? Like that's something I've been wanting to do. I'm going to give you a couple little tips here as we're talking about, you know, making objectively strategic and wise decisions. So first consider people in your life that you would gladly t- trade bank accounts with. Okay. Think about who in my life is maybe a little ahead of me financially or even two or three decades older than me. And I look at their life and I'm like, wow, they've made good money decisions. I can see it in their life and their lifestyle and their generosity and everything. I love what I'm seeing and I would feel pretty confident trading bank accounts with them. Great. Think of someone in your life like that and ask them if they work with a financial advisor or a financial planner and who they would recommend. If they have any recommendations, then take their recommendation and set up a meeting with that person and interview them. 
That's not to say you're committing to working with them. Just set up an interview with them. Interview them as if you were hiring them for a job because you are. You're hiring them to advise you on your financial life and manage your money. Like that's a big job. And if you don't have anyone that you can ask, then do a search for financial advisors in your area and have a list of criteria ready. Uh, Wise mentors in my life once gave me this really good advice. They told me about when they were first looking for their financial advisors and they would literally interview financial advisors and ask one of the first questions they would ask are, or was, are you a millionaire yet? And if the answer was no, then they'd walk away, which sounds super bougie at first, right? It sounds like, wow, okay, that's rude. But if that person, the point of them asking that, and they wouldn't just get up and walk away, obviously, like they were normal about it, but the point was they would choose not to work with them. Why? Because if that person hadn't gotten the result that these people wanted for themselves, and I would really recommend the book um, Everyday Millionaires by Chris Hogan if you feel like millionaire sounds super bougie and greedy and everything else. Like if your mind is going there, highly recommend that book. It talks about how a millionaire is ultimately your net worth, which means what you own minus what you owe. So it's not necessarily just having like millions of dollars sitting in a bank account. And a lot of times it's very everyday people. It's not like the people who are driving really fancy cars and, you know, I only green them and I'm kind of people. Okay. So anyways, wise mentors in my life though, once told me about this. And I just thought that was such an interesting question because the idea behind it was if that financial advisor hasn't been able to get the result that these people ultimately wanted for themselves, how would they get this? How would they help get this couple to their goals, right? They wanted to work with someone who could quite literally put their money where their mouth is. And I think that's really wise advice. So consider the criteria for you. Do you have a financial goal? Is it to get out of debt? Is it to, you know, have a certain net worth? Is it fill in the blank? Okay, great. Then ask your financial advisor, have you achieved that in your life yet? How many people have you worked with and helped achieve what this goal is? Am I? Like that should be your criteria. And if they don't they can't give you a strong answer. They're not the right fit for you. And that's okay. All right. Another discipline, discipline number seven of financially wise women is generosity. They're generous. And we touched on this in the beginning a little bit, but financially savvy women give and support causes that they're passionate about and that they care about. They use their money to make a difference in their communities. And if you can, I would recommend setting aside some of your income to help others. For example, you could you know, donate to a charity. You could donate to a mission, um, a ministry. You could donate to a church. You could you know, help someone in your, in your personal life that you know that's really struggling. It can come in a variety of ways. And I also want to give you this hint, okay? You can be strategic and intentional with your giving, and that doesn't make it bad, okay? You can actually be, you can plan ahead when it comes to your giving. You can be strategic about when you're giving for cash flow purposes, for tax purposes, all the things. So make a plan for your money ahead of time and the money that you're going to give ahead of time. And while there's nothing wrong with cheerful, spontaneous giving, in fact, it's a really good thing. Like cheerful, spontaneous giving is great, but simultaneously, it can be wise to plan some of your giving in advance. Discuss how you'll do this in a way that works well for you in your season of life, when it comes to cash flow, when it comes to taxes, all of those things with a financial advisor if you have one so you can make wise decisions and do this in the best way possible, all right? Um, next discipline, discipline number eight, this is the last discipline of financially wise women is that they choose to make money conversations fun and fruitful. So a financially wise woman makes money conversations an intentional, regular, and enjoyable thing. She doesn't come to a meeting, whether it's with a financial advisor, with her spouse, or both. She doesn't come to those meetings frazzled, stressed, and emotional about the whole thing. She shows up with a plan. She's prepared. And she ensures that nothing is left unsaid and no question is unasked. If you have a spouse or a family member, consider how you can make conversations about money a more enjoyable and unified experience. I personally, I might be a little biased, but I recommend dream dates. And by that, I mean schedule regular dates or dream dates or 
basically monthly, quarterly, or annual check-ins with a spouse, with a financial advisor, with your family, or all of the above. And what this can look like is setting aside, or even just with yourself, have a dream date with yourself if you don't have anyone else to discuss this with. The point is regular check-ins that are not done in the context of stress and emotion, but are done with intention. They're done ahead of time. They're done in a, from a place of preparedness, okay? So set aside some time in a relaxing environment. It might be over dinner and wine, or maybe you escape to an Airbnb, or maybe it's just a relaxing weekend on your own and whip out a pen and paper. If you have someone else with you, like a spouse, ask about their dreams and, and write down both your dreams and their dreams. Ask about personal and professional goals. Write down pro- uh, financial aspirations that are in each of your heads or in your own head if you're doing this by yourself. And write down what you say, what each of you say. Then from there, once it's all on paper, identify which goals and dreams you share with someone else if you have someone else in the picture with you and which you don't share. Discuss or reflect on, okay, which of these feels most practical, most urgent, most and most important for me or for my family or my future family. Once you have that vision set, then you can identify a few goals that will help you move closer to that big vision, or that big dream. And you can commit to working toward that either by yourself or together with your spouse before your next dream date, before your next check-in. Okay. Decide which action steps or changes you'll need to make to achieve that goal in the timeline that you have set. Then from there, once it's this enjoyable environment, stress-free, you know, review of money, review of your goals, setting up a how we're going to get there. Then you want to schedule your next check-in or dream date, either one month, three months, six months, or 12 months from that one. Okay. So one, three, six, or 12 months later. And in that next meeting, you'll basically review the process that you've made on the goal that you had set. You'll audit what you want to do better in the next window of time, whether that's one, three, six, or 12 months. And then you want to set a new goal based on that conversation. Okay. Rinse and repeat this process each month, quarter, or year, whichever feels most appropriate for you. But the point here is when you can take something that oftentimes becomes um, something you talk about or review or whatever in times of stress and turn it into something that you can actually be proactive about, that you can discuss or reflect on and set goals for in an enjoyable, life-giving environment, no stress involved, it's not emotional, you're going to not only set probably wiser goals and and be more realistic, but you're also going to be in a better mindset to make the best decisions, okay? So all in all, I want you to understand that these eight habits are wise, not greedy, okay? So audit your life. Which of these habits and mindsets do you currently live by and which could you work on? Select maybe one smart goal that you want to work toward if you don't have one clearly already. Because look, here's why all of these habits matter. When a woman is compensated for her work and makes a profit, it enables her to build financial independence, to create options for her family or her future family, to provide jobs for other people, to lead other people so they can provide for their families, to build wealth for the next generation, to be free of debt so they can give generously and make a massive impact to donating to causes, funding missions, supporting their community, and more. When you are financially literate, when you are you know clear and you know your numbers, you become a good steward, you become a wise investor, and as a result, you can really be a world changer. And if you implement and refine these habits and mindsets into your life, that financially wise woman, that can be you. So take some time to think about these, reflect on what's going well, what you can improve, what you want to focus on, and set one simple goal, one simple priority of one area and one of these habits that you want to work on, one of these habits you want to be more intentional about. You don't have to be perfect across the board grace-based intentionality. Okay. So pick one that you want to focus on and improve, 
continue stewarding the ones that maybe you're already doing or that you're already pretty good at and make those little micro adjustments and continue to improve day after day. I'd love to hear from you. It makes me so happy to see you tuning into this show. So if you're on Instagram, let me know what your favorite part of the show was by taking a screenshot of the episode you've tuned into and share it on your story. Tag me at Jordan Lee Dooley and tell me what your favorite quote or takeaway from today's show was so that I can see what's helping you and even feature what you share. This keeps me inspired and encouraged to keep creating new content and it's a great way to share something that your friends might love too. I can't wait to see you in Instagram world, my friend. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about the She Podcast or to get involved in Jordan's growing community, visit jordanleedooley.com. Thanks for joining in today. Until next time, remain committed to intentional choices that refine your heart, faith, health, and work because your story is much too important to settle for anything less.